there's not really any tool to do what we do right now. When you talk to people, usually what they do is that they use a spreadsheet. What I do in a spreadsheet is actually putting the list of invoices, trying to get the larger invoice outstanding, and try to randomly like hit like customers that haven't paid me on time and try to figure out the process out of it. What was interesting is that we somehow, in the first iteration of the product, I think we got it wrong in the sense of like we focused a lot of efforts on pains that we thought were like the massive pain, but it wasn't in the, in the end. My name is Alex Wizzy. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Upflow. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. I was proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. And today, how Alex Luisi built the platform for next-level finance leaders with cutting-edge AR technology. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Alex Luisi is 37 years old and came from a non-tech family. In the past, he worked in investment banking and then a small telco company. But he was always drawn to tech entrepreneurship, and eventually, he stepped into the possibilities in this world. Outside of tech, he's married with two kids and enjoys being outside, gardening, and hiking through the forest outside of his small house. Alex spent many years in investment banking, financing large companies. He set out to try to provide B2B lending and discovered that most people needed to borrow money because they weren't getting paid on time. He and his team decided to focus on this very simple problem— which uncovered huge opportunity. This is the creation story of Upflow. Upflow is a software company that aims at helping B2B companies to manage their cash collection. So it's basically the process by which you turn your revenues and all these outstanding invoices into actually cash collected on your bank account. And it seems like a very boring and simple topic uh, in some ways, but this is actually like one of the topics that is a significant issue for a lot of B2B companies and one of the spaces in payments that hasn't changed in the last 50 years. If you think about a B2B company, it's very much about sending out an invoice, waiting for two, three, four weeks, and then getting sometimes a check in the mailbox, sometimes a wire transfer, sometimes nothing. 
So the way we look at it from an outflow perspective is to bring really technology. We, we are really interested in, in looking at this problem as a, as a technical problem, not necessarily a problem of people or a problem of bad payers, but we really want to bring the tech that enable business teams to regain control over those processes around cash collection. And it's not only about optimizing the process, so having good analytics, organizing the right workflows, but also like helping changing the process in the sense of bringing modern payment methods or it's about really thinking about like how do I get rid of checks? How do I get rid of like offline manual wire transfers? And how do I move to online payments and things that makes life easier for everyone? Which seems like kind of easy, but it's actually really hard when you have thousands of invoices, thousands of customers, and that's what we provide. So I did a Master of Engineering and a Master of Finance, and I've always been kind of really like interested about financing for B2B companies. I spent my four years in investment banking, financing very large companies, and this was the beginning of in the US, but like companies starting to lend money on a more dynamic basis for B2B businesses. Where we started the company, so we started a company in Europe, and we wanted to work on financing for B2B companies, right? We were just like, hey, let's make something simpler. We don't need to go to a bank, do some paperwork for like ages, wait for three weeks to get a line of credit and stuff. We wanted to do something that was like simpler and faster. And when we started working in a company, interviewing people, the one thing that was super interesting is that when you actually ask people like, what would you need to borrow some money in a short term? Most of the finance folks who were talking to you and CEOs were saying, well, we want to borrow money because we just can't get paid on time by our customers. This is the number one reason why we would want to borrow money. And at that time, it was like, hey, how is that that you know, I used to work for companies that never got paid on time? I thought this was a problem with the finance teams or the process. Most of the people around me also had this problem. And we were just like, how about we, before financing those companies, how about we focus on this very basic problem, which is about helping them getting paid on time, which seems quite of an easy ask, but in reality became a much more complex problem as we started like digging into this. And actually very few companies have, have managed to make something in this space. And that's how we started by saying, well, before financing someone, we're just going to help them get paid on time. And then we'll see how we can add payments, modern payments on this. And on top of this, how we can add financing. But it's really in this order and starting with something that was a, a simple answer to a apparently a simple problem. Tell me about the MVP. So that first version of the product you built. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools were used to bring it to life? spent a lot of time talking to users in the first place and we spent also a lot of time on, on wireframes. There's not really any tool to do what we do right now. When you talk to people, usually what they do is that they use a spreadsheet. What I do in a spreadsheet is actually putting the list of invoices, trying to get the larger invoice outstanding and try to randomly like hit like customers that haven't paid me on time and try to figure out the process out of it. We really started with by trying to understand like what were the pain points around like the entire process. So that's what we call the quote to cash process. So that's the B2B process by which you actually collect your money. And we were trying to understand like what is the problem, what does it start, what is the most difficult problem to solve. What was interesting is that we somehow in the first iteration of the product 
I think we got it wrong in the sense of like we focused a lot of efforts on pains that we thought were like the massive pain, but it wasn't in the, in the end. So typically, to give you an example, um, one of the key problems that you have when you chase and pay invoices is that you first need to know who paid you and who hasn't paid you. And this process is like called the cash application process. So it's basically like understanding that you get a wire on your bank account or a check and it corresponds to these outstanding invoices. And this is, for most finance teams out there in the B2B space, this is a manual process today. And we spent a lot of energy trying to solve that issue about the reconciliation piece. Once we actually realized when we started putting the product in the hands of the users that most of the pain that they had was more around organizing the workflows, chasing unpaid invoices, rather than this reconciliation piece that was in the end like time consuming, but an easy one that they were kind of okay to do. So there was a lot of iterations on like, where are we going to focus the first part of the product, this MVP? And by doing this on the wireframes and user interviews, we actually nailed the fact that like we would focus the first part of the product on really like this kind of what we now call the cash collection engine which is basically like organizing those workflows and that's how we started with a very simple value proposition that we there thereafter like enhanced and grew into much a much wider value proposition that we have today this episode is encrypted by cypherstash data breaches are becoming a fact of life know why One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. You've decided on you know what you're going to build using wireframes, you're doing user interviews, you've made your decisions there. How did you progress the product from there, probably other than doing the development, but how did you how did you go about building your roadmap? And how did you go about deciding, okay, 
this is the next most important thing to build for Upflow. If I look back, there's a kind of a mix between what you want to achieve and what the potential customers or users are asking. And I think it's particularly hard when you're trying to, when you're kind of creating a category in some ways, like replacing a spreadsheet, because people have a very opinionated idea of what they want to see because they are trying to replicate what they do in the spreadsheet when actually what you sometimes want to do is actually changing this overall process, right? For the first 10 users, it was very much about like sitting down with them, seeing how they use the product, seeing what were the most important issues that they had, and then iterating around that. And once we found like a couple of like power users that were happy with the product, we used them to expand the value proposition over time. But I think one of the biggest challenges we had was moving from what the users want to what is the vision we had for that and making sure that like we didn't burn everything into uh, just answering the request and not making progress towards where we wanted to go. And I vividly remember having this moment where we said, well, we need to turn this as a paying product. You know, we're selling B2B SaaS, so there was no real reasons for this to, to, to be a, a free product forever. And I always remember this kind of switch from suddenly you see people that are really interested. There were a lot of people staying around using the product, providing a lot of feedback. And suddenly when we told them like when we told them like, hey, you know, you're gonna have to pay, the discussion we had was very different. The feedback they gave us was very different. Some power users we thought were power users just left. Some others stayed and became the new power users. But I think it was a turning moment in terms of and something that I highly encourage like other founders to do when they are in our space, to try to monetize as early as possible because I think you get a very different feedback from paying users compared to free users in some ways. Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? I wish uh, I could tell you that like we only had the winning horses, as you said. <laughs> I think it's always a challenge <laughs> when you build a company to have the right people. And I think one thing that is interesting is that you need to have the right people for the right things you're doing at the right time. Um, maybe I'll start with my co-founder. I think when when I met my co-founder and like I had this idea we were working on this company for financing, then switching to this company focused on AR. I think there was something that was really interesting in terms of what is the philosophy you want for your company kind of long term you know and i think the one thing that i found really really uh, great with barnaby my co-founder when i met with him was the fact that like we were both like extremely focused on being a product driven organization and there was an idea of bringing this kind of like b2c experience that you have for payments to the b2b world but i think it was very important that we align on that especially when you're selling B2B software and you know sometimes like the product is not necessarily like the most important thing like you put a lot of emphasis on sales or other things then i would say that like for the first hires i would very much look for two two main qualities when we were hiring whether this was like you know engineers business operations sales like you know and even this was a very very small team for the first two years it was really around, like I would say, intelligence, what we call mastering our craft today at Adoflow, uh, which is basically like this ability to go really deep in the topics and being really passionate about like what you do. 
uh, always like trying to understand more, going deeper into these topics. And you know, as any area, like things seems really easy, like from the outside. But when you start digging into accounting concepts, when you want to become an expert to finance people, it becomes really complex. So that was one of the things that was really important. And then I would also look for uh, coachability and adaptability. I could tell you like all the pivots that we've made, moving from France to the US, moving different markets, changing our integration strategies, going through white combinators. Like I can tell you that like the reason why our number one employee is still still around today is because he's been able to adapt to this crazy environment, and that's probably like one of the key. There's all the things we look at, obviously, but like that would probably be the two main things that we will be looking at, especially in the early days of the company. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too, in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso. Welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. So let's talk about scalability. And this will be interesting, you know, given you landed on one component, I believe it was cash collection in the very beginning. Was that built to scale or with scale in mind from the beginning? Or are, are, have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction? We 100% been fighting around that. Um, and it's actually quite interesting because one of the first people that we made was around, we had built something that worked but wouldn't scale. For software like Upflow to to be efficient, we need to ingest the entirety of like the financial data uh, from our users, right? So we need to import all invoices, all transactions, all payments. You need that to just get started, right? It's what we call a field product in the sense of like, you don't starting from a, a blank sheet and you kind of fill up your product with other things. It's like Upflow cannot work if you don't have this entirety of data, right? multiple ways of addressing this this problem one of them was to kind of build like build big pipelines so that people can send us entirety of their invoices and we can like maintain those pipelines over time and stuff and that worked when we started with a few users 
with small companies, with a few companies as well, because obviously like at the beginning you only have a few. And then we started having 10, 20, 100 customers using Upflow. They became bigger and bigger. And what used to be like, you know, one or two percent errors in our pipelines to ingest that data became like a, a nightmare, right? And at that point in time, we were just like, hey, we need to kind of move to something that is more scalable. And that was actually like a big shift that we did in terms of instead of having this pipeline where users would send us the entirety of their data, we would actually connect natively to their systems. And from there, maintain like a, what we now call a native integration with their systems so that we can not only like maintain that in real time, but also make the checks so that we're sure that the data is 100% accurate, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't only have an impact on like the tech, but it also had an impact on our go-to-market strategy because suddenly we started building like some native integration with financial software such as QuickBooks and NetSuite that you probably know about. And these people started to build some kind of distribution partnership with us and that was mostly in the US, right? And typically when you think about this, what I just described is to me like a one of the lessons of like building something that scale is that you really want to make sure that like you put your company in a way especially if that's a startup, right? If you're interested in having a global impact, maybe you don't do this if you want to do this on a, only a few users. But if you want building something that is going to become the household name for your category, right? You really want to start and, and having like this scale in mind. If it doesn't scale, then you're probably going to have a problem later down the road. And you just want to make sure that like this is not happening like this. So... I think this is one of the examples on the product, but I could give you countless examples of like how we built the company with scale in mind. And these are things that are super important in how we operate as a business out of flow today. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? You know, if I have to say something around what are the things that I'm proud of, I would say that like still being alive as an organization is something that I'm quite proud of. That seems like quite basic, but in our environment, when you you know you raise a lot of money to grow really fast and stuff, you take also a lot of risks. And I think I'm very happy that like we managed to establish like this company as a as a viable business and something that is seems kind of obvious but still like a real achievement, still being around like four years ago, for four years later. And, uh, and hopefully for many more years, right? That might be like a little bit stupid, but, or you know, kind of basic as well. But I would say that like the people we're working with are, you know, kind of like the one thing that makes me like, not necessarily proud, but very happy. I think when you start your company, part of the reason why I started a company is not only to solve like a problem about unpaid invoices and, and kind of things like this, it's also about like having this ability to make a dent in like how you run an organization and being also like hopefully like an example for other organization. And I'm trying to spend more time now. I've spent a lot of time learning from others, uh, talking to peers when we started the company and I'm still doing it a lot. But I'm also spending more time now like trying to give back and showing like how we operate Outflow because I'm quite proud about like a few things we do. And these are the things that make me really happy and also help me like, you know, still find the energy between the two kids, 
the zillion problems you have on a daily basis to just keep on going and being like, you know, happy to wake up every morning and being excited about, you know, continuing the journey. Uh, that would be the two things. It's quite obvious, but still worth mentioning, I'd say. Let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think those those moments and realization are actually probably the most important one um, in the life of an organization. And how you react to them are actually saying like if you're going to be a successful organization or not, right? We all make mistakes. What we've learned by all the mistakes that we've made is that it's really important that like you are faster at identifying them next time and fixing them uh, as soon as possible. I would say that the biggest mistake that we've done at Upflow was a GTM mistake when we started the company. So the problem with solving is very widespread and it's not really like an American or French or a Spanish or a Chinese problem, right? In every single country, B2B companies can't get paid. And when we started, one of the biggest mistakes we made was only focusing on our users, just talking to them, and the product that would actually solve those issues, right? The one thing that we didn't really think about was GTM. How would we bring that product to the market? And my number one advice to founders when they come to me and say, like, uh, I'm thinking about this idea, and it's usually this idea is about the product, I'm always asking them, like, how are you going to bring that product to the market? What is going to be your sales motion? Like, is that going to be like a low touch model, a high touch model? And obviously, like, there are not things you think about in the early days, but you need to make sure that you have an idea of like where you're going because it's very different to build a product that is supposed to be a self-serve product to compared to building a enterprise product. There was something that felt a little bit wrong about like the price point, the team we had around, the people we needed to support this entire organization. And I will be forever thankful to the white combinator that we attended in uh, 2021. It was two years after we started the company, which was kind of odd, but we were pivoting into the US and we thought that this would be a great idea to get there. And I was always remember the first office hour with our partner Dalton and just looking at a few KPIs, he didn't know us, right? We just had an interview, you know, the 10 minute interview from Y Combinator. That is a little bit of a disturbing moment because you think that like, you know, it's a really important moment, but it's only last 10 minutes. The first office hour, Dalton telling us, well, I don't really know what you guys are doing, but I think you just got it wrong, right? The unit economics just don't work. And at that time we were just like, what is he telling us? Like, we, we don't know that guy, <laughs> how, how can he say that? And it was interesting because it was just looking at like a few unit economics, the price point, how we were selling. And typically like we were selling heavily album because we were selling to CFOs and the price point was way too low for what we needed to achieve. And he said, guys, you need to either sell low touch or increase your pricing like big time because otherwise it's not going to work. You're never going to get anywhere with this. And I'm really grateful about not only that mistake, but also like that piece of advice because during in only two or three months during the Y Combinator batch, we managed to increase prices significantly, refine our GTM playbook, etc., so that we could get to where we are right now, which is working really fine. And that was like one of the biggest mistakes we've ever done at Oplo, like not thinking forward in how we're going to bring that product to the market.
So we'll move forward. Let's let's talk about something a little more fun. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? I'm excited first for the future. I love that sentence from um, from Stripe around being like, you know, micro pessimist, but micro optimist. I'm a big micro optimist on, on the flow. And um, I think like we haven't scratched the surface of like the problem we're trying to solve. If I think about, you know, the kind of like vision we have for the product, we really want to make sure that like we're not only optimizing a process, which is already really hard and, and really valuable for those companies, but really like kind of changing the process, right? We want to make sure that like this entire process that we are optimizing at the moment can become something that is really modernized, right? What I mean by that is that currently this is about better workflows, better collaboration, more efficiency in terms of you know time spent on those tasks that no one wants to perform. I want to get to a point where Upflow is the platform that brings modern payments, such as you know instant payments, auto pay, and type of service, this type of services that we know in the consumer space. Uh, to the B2B world, right? And we haven't even started this point in terms of payment. And then there's another big step that we would want to provide on top of that, which is around financing, right? You know, like probably the Affirm and the Klarna of the world in terms of buy now, pay later, they're very obvious in the consumer world. There's no reason why like we wouldn't have the same at the click of a button into the B2B space. That's what we want to bring. So if you think about like those three steps, and thinking that we've spent already four years only on the first one, I'm quite excited about like you know this roadmap moving into the future. Now, if I think about the team, it's quite interesting because I got the realization as we started like you know kind of building the team. One of the objectives was to make sure that we had a lot of people around us so that we could have a lot of impact, right? And I think this changed over time. And I think like I'm not and we are not with my co-founder interested in necessarily like having a very large team but we want to have a really, really performing team. One of the things we realized over the last couple of years is that managing people, managing like a growing organization is extremely complex. And there's kind of two ways of doing this. You either hire a lot of people and spend like a lot of time trying to figure out how to make a very large organization work or try to hire like really, really great people and probably like only a few of them. And I think like, that's what I'm trying to achieve and what we're trying to achieve now, uh, making sure that like in every single position of the organization, we have an expert in the, in the seat rather than hiring like a lot of people to, to do that. Okay, Alex, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I have a lot of a lot of inspirations from a lot of founders and, and great professionals. I'm actually a big fan of like reading a lot of management books. Uh, my wife finally like uh, decided that like I would get all my book out of our house because she, she was just upset about so many management books <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> so and I like brought them to the, to the office. But a lot of people have been inspiring me. Um, but if I had to mention one person recently and a founder that it's still like, uh, you know, not someone from 50 years ago, Jack Altman, the CEO of Lattice, has been a, a great source of inspiration for me. Um, and the reason for that is that it's not only because um, Lattice is one of our power users, and and you know, like, and they provide, they've been like, you know, these kind of users that you've been dreaming about in terms of providing you great feedback, like um, being a great advocate of your product. 
But really, like Jack spent a lot of time、uh, helping me as a as a YC fellow founder,、uh, which is something that I really appreciate. And I think what I really like with this story is that it was really like a really something that you needed to create in the space, right? It was not a, a software a type of software that existed like ten years ago. I've learned a lot from I think something that is very similar for us is that you need to educate the market on your product and why is a product like this something that people need because it's not a kind of a replacement play where you come in with a product that is better than something that already exists. You really need to make your point and think about like how are you going to convince people that this is better than a spreadsheet, right? I would guess that like a lot of people were running OKRs out of spreadsheets before Lattice, and then suddenly once you've been you know using、uh, Lattice for OKRs and Lattice can do many many other things, you start to realize that like it's a total game changer. But you, it's it's a long process to get there, and I think Jack has been like really like helping us and leading the way not only personally but also as an organization building that that business where. They started with a, with a very narrow value proposition and then enriched it into something that is much wider, and that's really like a source of inspiration for me in terms of、uh, a great founder that I、uh, look up to. So, so yeah, it would be the one. Okay, so last question: You're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it to, show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? I'd say don't give up. That would be my、uh, my number one advice. I think when you start and when you are this very exciting moment where you know you're having a drink with your friends and you are telling them about the great product that you're going to build, the great team that you're going to assemble, and overall this great journey you are embarking on, you're always super excited. And then you realize that it's 10x, 100x. A million x harder than what you thought, right? And I think the difference between successful founders and people that just don't make it is just that you just give up, and and you give up in your in your mind at some point. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but it's 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 really like a discipline to to keep on iterating, and that's also something that I've learned at Y Combinator. I think this idea that like. There's no right or wrong. There's just like things that need to be tested and move faster and faster to the next one until you find like the thing that works. It's probably the right methodology. So when I say don't give up, it's not like you know stay and stay on your lane and just do the same thing for the next three years until you're just exhausted and totally burnt out. It's more about don't giving up and having this energy to always try something new, keep the faith, keep your head up in terms of. What do we want to achieve? What's the vision? And it's really hard. I think that's the biggest challenge you have as you start your organization, and that would really be my number one advice for you know like a young founder. And I wish I had that advice when we started because I think we sometimes stayed for too long on some of the kind of dead end we were in, where you know we should have just cut it and just moved to the to the next thing. You know, it's just、uh, in the end, it it went well. But it's important to keep that in mind when you start your company. That's great advice. Well, Alex, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for telling the creation story of Upflow. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, and hope it was helpful for others. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.
Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.